At exactly 9.09am on September 9th, 1999, Thomas Bangalter and Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo were working in their studio when a sampler exploded. When the two men regained consciousness, they discovered that they'd become robots. At least, that's what the French house duo told press during the promotion of their much-anticipated second album. From then on, they only appeared in elaborate costumes, faces covered up with robotic helmets on stage. There was a method to their madness, more than just the result of shyness or subterfuge. Bangalter explained, We don't believe in the star system. We want the focus to be on the music. If we have to create an image, it must be an artificial image. It's not a compromise, it's just that we're a little bit embarrassed by the whole thing. We don't want to play to this whole celebrity thing. We don't want to get recognised in the streets. We don't want to run into people who are the same age as us shaking our hand and saying, can I have your autograph, because we think we're exactly like them. Even girls can fall in love with your music, but not you. You don't always have to compromise yourself to be successful. The two men would refuse to compromise, and so became the faceless, anonymous robots known only as Daft Punk. They wanted to let their music speak for itself, and Daft Punk made a musical statement on the 26th of February 2001 that was heard around the world. Discovery went platinum across Europe and has been credited as a landmark moment in dance music and the digital music age. The album is both an ode to a distant past and a vision of a far-off future, and its significance has taken on biblical proportions for electronic music fans. Which is why it's no surprise that a young Californian girl named Katie Hudson received little to no attention when her debut album released just two weeks later. Hudson, trying to find her identity as desperately as Daft Punk were trying to mask theirs, would go on to sell just 200 copies of her album before the record label went bankrupt. 19 years and one name change later, Katy Perry is one of the best-selling musicians on the planet. But how do these two albums from the start of the millennium stack up? Will we discover anything from the Christian rock origins of Katie Hudson? We're going to find out. Welcome. To when albums collide. Welcome to the When Albums Collide podcast. I'm Judd Boas, joined as ever by my co-host, Mr. Pedro Duran. How are you, Judd? I'm doing well. Pedro, we have some news. You might remember, last episode, we reviewed the Baja Men's Who Let the Dogs Out. You remember that? Oh, yes, yes, yes. We were less than complimentary, and we posted this clip on our Instagram. Both of these artists were able to leave such a massive mark at the time, and then kind of uh, just fade away. Yeah, in the same way that, like, Pol Pot or Mussolini left massive marks (laughs) on history, so did the Baja Men on the music industry. Yes, yes, they've uh, caused a lot of pain to people. What happened, Pedro? Yeah, about 11 p.m. at night. I think I was uh, in in a chat with you, but I received a notice from the official Baja Men social media account that they actually liked our clip. Um, And the ironic part is that uh, the clip was not very complimentary to them at all. So I don't really think it was anyone in the Baja Men that liked it. Maybe an intern of theirs saw that. Uh, they were tagged and just uh, liked the clip. Yeah, so it was the clip where I referred to them, I compared them to former Italian fascist dictator Mussolini. 
Um, so I can understand mm-hmm. how that might be construed as negative. Are we in trouble, Pedro? Are we about to get a knock at the door from ten very angry men from the Bahamas? Well, um, it, it's a possibility, but um, that's what I was, I was saying to you that night. I, it would be ironic if we were to receive a cis and desist uh, order from the Baja men because um, we've basically did not have nice words to say about their music. <laughs> I'm not joking when I say this. On the US iTunes store, we have 46 ratings. 45 are positive five-star reviews. Oh, wow. And this week, we got our first negative one-star review. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but did we just get a negative review from the Bahamas? It's possibility. (laughs) All right, so I thought today we might get in even more trouble if we start bashing some of the albums, which is why I've enlisted some professional help Hence, why we are joined by John and Elliot from the band Stillmore, all the way from the UK. Lads, how are things? Hello. Oh, they're all right. I feel a bit honoured that you've called us professionals. I know. You did pay me to say that, but that's fine. (laughs) Um, Guys, how is the plague that is sweeping the planet treating you guys? (coughs) Um, That wasn't wasn't a bad time. (laughs) Worst possible time. Sounds great. Um... Things have been things have been funny. Um, I mean, they're different everywhere, aren't they? In Britain, I mean, where we are specifically, the city we're in, we've had like extra measures. We went into a local lockdown before any of the rest of the country did. Um, we've we've probably had a tougher time with it than a lot of a lot of places uh, in terms of the actual lockdown. In terms of the actual spread of the virus, we've probably had it better off because we've been in a tighter lockdown. But when you leave the house, do you have to put a face mask on straight away? Absolutely, yeah, it's mandatory. So um, people. Socially, yeah. will probably give you dirty looks, but if uh, authorities see you, there's a possibility that you uh, will get a, a ticket or a fine of some sort. So what better way to spend your Friday night than by staying inside and listening to Katy Perry's debut album? Woo! The year is 2001, <laughs> yeah. lads. Daft Punk's Discovery and Katy Perry's Katie Hudson, as she used to be known, self-titled. Can I just get a read from you guys? What is your experience with Daft Punk and what is your experience with Katy Perry? Yeah, so I pro- in, in terms of these two artists in particular, I pro- possibly have more to say. I, I love Daft Punk. I've been a big fan of Daft Punk's whole discography for a long time. Katy Perry, I, I really like her album... Oh man, I don't like it well enough to know the name. Uh, what was it called? And and then after that, I I get really bored of it. I think it gets really samey. But no, I I like what she did. I kind of I appreciate her sound. I know it's definitely not for everybody because it's quite a lot of people just find it quite boring, quite basic kind of pop. Yeah, generally I quite like her as an artist. I don't think she's I don't think she's one of the really dislikable pop stars in the charts. John, you got any thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean I definitely lean towards Daft Punk, but that's that's <laughs> just because. Uh, I'm not a teenage girl. <laughs> All right. Mm. What about the the first album? Had either of you heard this before? Yeah. N- which, no, not at all. By by the way, I mean I mentioned it at the top of the show. Uh, the the record label on which it was released, Red Hill, went bankrupt. Yes. Yeah. Preventing it from marketing and promoting the album. So subsequently, about 200 copies of this album were sold, which received mixed reviews. Um, I didn't purchase one. I think they're like $150. On yeah, well, eBay, right. So, so I, I researched that. So I found on, on eBay, the cheapest I could find it was uh, £304.15 in British sterling, which equates to 558 Australian dollars. 
worth every penny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I had I had heard it before. I list, I think I heard it years and years ago. Because when I get into an artist, I get a little bit obsessive and I go back and listen through their entire discography just once, just to see what it's like. When you get obsessed, you start looking through their rubbish, you go outside their house, you're looking through the bedroom windows. Say, when you're talking about Katy Perry, the word obsessed is slightly uh, <laughs> slightly risky. <laughs> well, do you know what? Somebody somebody once quoted me saying something about Katy Perry, and I don't remember saying it, but somebody used to quote that I apparently at some point said that I would happily go to a Katy Perry concert with sound cancelling headphones and a pair of binoculars. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I ever said this, but apparently I did. <laughs> and people quote it back to me and I I don't I don't know, but it's a hell of a quote. <laughs> Pedro, I'm going to ask a slightly different question of you. Um besides that, I want to say if you harken back to our Space Jam episode, you might remember that you told me that your mother was very worried about you listening to any bad music, any adult themes this or whatever. That's correct. And so you said most of the music you listened to was a lot of Christian rap. Can you expound on this a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, especially when we moved from New York to Florida, I I think that my mom believed that Florida was a lot more uh, a safer environment to grow up in. So once we did that, we started attending church a lot. And the church that I like would go to was, it was super hardcore in the sense of they didn't want you to listen to uh, music with any um, cursing or movies with any violence and stuff like that. So my entertainment was very limited to things like the Keystone Cops. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's like an old 1930s yeah, black and yeah. white. Yeah. And um, and Christian rap and Christian music. So, uh, for instance, like an artist like Carmen and Christian rap and just like stuff like the Space Jam <laughs> soundtrack. But I never had the pleasure of uh, listening to uh, Katie Hudson until this week. Before we get into it, uh, I just want to note that a lot of my facts uh, from today for the research day came from the book 101 Amazing Katy Perry Facts by Jack Goldstein and Frankie Taylor, which is available <laughs> at a bargain pound forty-nine pence on the Amazon UK store. Um, I like that there were so many facts, it took two authors to collect them all. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Daft Punk's discovery, Katy Perry, sorry, Katy Hudson's first debut Christian rock album. Let's get into it with the track-by-track breakdown. Kicking things off with One More Time. Hell of a way to open your album with one of the most famous house tracks of all time. Defining characteristic, those auto-tuned vocals you hear on it. And auto-tune at this point, still very new. It's been around for maybe three years when this song has been recorded. Maybe Cher used it in her song Believe. Um, But this is like such a, a new sound and it goes with their whole robot gimmick they've got going on. When questioned about their use of auto-tune in The Signal, Thomas replied, A lot of people complain about musicians using auto-tune. It reminds me of the late 70s, when musicians in France tried to ban the synthesizer. What they didn't see is you could use those tools in a new way instead of just replacing the instruments that came before. Iconic song. What did you guys think? Elliot, John, what did you think? Oh, it's a classic, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's... Um... It's. I think before I even got into Daft Punk, I was familiar with the song. It's just catchy. It's you. You recognise it instantly, and it sticks with you. Like you said, I think it's really interesting that you've picked up on the auto tune 
thing because that, that's one thing I think Daft Punk do really well is use autotune as a kind of tool not not to you know make their song their their vocals sound nice like a pop star might use it but just for these cool effects and I love their kind of style of the whole robotic thing that they have going on throughout the, this whole album. And they, I mean, they've kept it up throughout most of their music, really. The fact that it's the first song on the album, actually, like like when it came out, they didn't know that that one was going to be like the biggest one. They just sort of were like, oh, we'll just put it first, I imagine. You can predict it to a degree, but you can't like always know. We're coming out of the 90s and the 90s has such a big rave and like dance era. Whether they put it first to make it the one that people hear. So it's like, oh, they hear it and then they play it more in the clubs. I don't know. It's it's definitely my favorite on the album. I agree. It's probably it's probably the best track on the whole album. Actually, I would probably say, but the whole album has a sound that is not of the time that it actually came out. I think, which is amazing. I I think because it, it, I mean, it takes elements of music from the seventies and from the eighties and from the nineties. You know, I, I think it it's a mix of a lot of things. Have you have you listened to their most recent album, their twenty thirteen album, uh, Random Access Memory? He's talking and he explains, you know... I wanted to do an album with the sounds of the 50s, the sounds of the 60s, of the 70s, and then have a sound of the future. And I they kind of set out as, as their goal was to always take elements from these different decades of music, very kind of uh, defining parts from each decade, you know. So the sound, all the samples, and we're going to get into the samples later, late 70s, early 80s. This could have come out in 1979 because the songs, they just sampled those songs, you know, like it has that disco funk sound. In total agreement, this is a classic song. This is actually my first introduction to Daft Punk. I got into it because I actually watched a music video one day just on TV and, you know, it was just on and I started paying attention to it. It was just great. I mean, we can go into it as well. The whole anime film that is in companion with this, the music, it's such a great companion piece to the music that... um. It's one of the um, reasons why it was so successful. And just into the artistry of Daft Punk, I I totally respect them for that, that they had a vision, um, not just musically, but uh, visually to be like, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to take this and put it with that and it just it just it's a great mix yeah so you mentioned the the anime film and i think elliot was mentioning before that they wanted to capture that sound of like 75 to 85 that that sound not because they just liked that music but because they were children at that mm, yeah. point they wanted to capture the sound of what it was like to be 10 years old and listening to music and so they also had a childhood love of anime so they teamed up with leiji matsumoto for interstellar 5555 the story of the secret star system it's an anime if you haven't seen it it's an anime film the entirety of this album is the soundtrack and there's no dialogue just like sound wow. effects and and the thing music and it's it's amazing look we can talk until the cows come home, about one more time. But I want to get to Katie Hudson because you couldn't get a more stark contrast than <laughs> Katie Hudson's opening track because I think her track, Trust In Me, is like one of the worst tracks on the album. To, to open up your, your track with it, you know, the final track on the album, naturally, was the single. It's like the opposite of what you're supposed to do to like get yeah. people to listen to it. One of the weakest tracks, personally, for me. I think the album, spoiler alert, improves leaps and bounds off this start. But if I'm if this is the first track I'm hearing, I don't know if I want to push through. It's I don't think it's for me. Mm. It's it's a bizarre opening because it opens with strings, massive strings. You got like a, a relatively big size orchestra almost, and it wasn't what I was expecting the, the album to. Because I've heard the album years ago, when I went back to listen to it in research for this episode, I 
I had completely forgotten actually this song. The one thing I did think was that it does suggest to you straight away that there is some sort of budget behind this. You know, she's not gone and completely made this in a garage by herself, which I think is encouraging. But <laughs> I mean, given, you know, given, given that we know the album flopped, didn't sell well, you kind of question whether they potentially wasted money paying an orchestra. They had a team, they just maybe didn't have the right team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I so I only listened to this like for the first time this week and I had to turn it off a few... Like, it took me a few tries to get through the album, if I'm being honest. <laughs> it's sort of a bit difficult to listen to. Uh, I do think that having... Like, there were only like five huge uh, music production companies at the time, so to actually get any amazing level of music production is it would have been really difficult fair enough like it's it's not the best of like recording or producing but for what was there at the time like you can't everybody can't do it at this point like it's only specific companies that can put out the music to that level one criticism about i'll just say the album because we know how katie perry's career turned out right she's a very successful pop singer uh, and things i'm not sure about what age she was at the time of this recording but i felt throughout the album and this song is very indicative of it that she is very influenced by other artists and not that she's necessarily copying their style but i just didn't find that it was necessarily her voice it was just more of a imitation of other artists that she might have grown up with and then she was just kind of putting her spin on it yeah so Catherine hudson born in santa barbara california she really is a california girl to pentecostal pastors uh, and they spent most of her youth from ages 3 to 11 moving around the country and setting up churches uh, and she went to religious schools and camps and her family struggled financially sometimes using food stamps and eating from the food bank intended to feed the congregation at her parents church so um, went through some tough times. Hey, Pedro, did you know that Katy Perry is 15 on this album? Wow. Isn't that wild? No way. She's 15 years wow. old. Oh, right. No, I mean, I mean, it's that's crazy. I mean, it's crazy, but it's super impressive. You know what I mean? So. I mean, yeah, her voice is, is great. And she wrote on her website a little bit about the album, which I will read from now. This is from Katie Hudson's website saying, quote, This song was my first try at songwriting. I was feeling a little depressed at the time and was thinking about all the things I'd done wrong. I felt like I was oil and God was water and that I just wouldn't mix. I started writing about this and God placed a peace in my heart. I really felt he was saying, don't worry, child, trust in me. I had to open my heart to the healing process. And then even at the end of this track, you have a bit of spoken word uh, yeah. from Pastor Keith Hudson, a.k.a. Dad, can you please be on my album and do a sermon because I don't have to pay you? <laughs> Um, so that it, you always love to see a bit of a bit of that, and it continues with the next song, "Piercing," which is so much more rock than anything you're going to hear Katy Perry do yeah. for the rest of her career. You got chord progressions that are quite interesting, and and piano melodies that are quite interesting. But she's 15 years old, which is wild. She actually went on tour for this album, and you can find backstage footage of her on tour with all these other Christian musicians, and it is wild to watch like 15 year old Katy Perry and everyone thinks I'm like superstar and I you know like rock star but that's not how I am at all like I, I I'm just some little kid from California who plays the guitar and sings 
And I just, I write what I think needs to be written. I write what I deal with. I actually, I write what I want to say to people that I can't say through my mouth, I guess. But you also realize, despite this really powerful voice she has, she is still just a teenage girl. Like, she's crying backstage and stuff because she's missing her parents, and it's all, it's actually uncomfortable to watch. Um, her interviews are really nice. She's saying, like, she never wants it to be a gig. She thinks it's a gift, but it is uncomfortable to watch. So knowing, it changed the album for me, knowing, like, oh, this isn't, like, a 21-year-old woman. It's a 15-year-old teenage girl who should be in year nine. Wow. What's, what's interesting as well is is that she didn't actually gain massive success or recognition off of that tour. You almost think it's almost more worth it if she had, yeah, if, she, if she'd blown up from this initial album and this tour and stuff. You're th- like, okay, so she's put in the work. It's clearly very hard and grueling, but she's got somewhere. But the fact is her, her next album didn't come out until 2008. She, she wasn't really going anywhere at this point at all. Yeah, you really feel for her. She was so young. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I didn't know she was 15. I, I thought like maybe 18 at the youngest, but... Like, knowing that, it's, it's a bit insane, isn't it? Like, yeah, I retract some of my meanness now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, uh, like I said, it's super impressive. I mean, especially being at that young age, just knowing, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to be a singer. I want to be um, in entertainment and, and just for to just to go for it. Not to take anything away. She's, it's super impressive that at, at even 15, she was able to put this out. Because one thing I will say, is that she can sing. Like, she really does hold the tracks that she's on. It was the next track, Search Me, and I was like, huh, Pedro, do you think Katy Perry might have listened to one or two Alanis Morissette albums in her life? Just a wild guess that... She has openly said that Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill changed her life. Um, The album was one of the first non-Christian albums that she ever listened to, and she actually got in trouble at her school for singing Ironic in the playground. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, she said, like, after hearing Morissette talk about her life, like that in her music, she started singing about everything she was going through as a young woman. And for more information on Jagged Little Pill, I would recommend this great little podcast called When Albums Collide. They did episode three on it. I would highly recommend you checking that out. But it is quite an aggressive song, this one. And so that's where I got the Alanis Morissette. Fun fact, when she moved to LA when she was 17, she actually teamed up with Glenn Campbell, who co-wrote Jagged Little Pill. So she was like following her idol all around the music biz. But yeah, anything for Search Me, guys? Generally, I thought... So I think on the second and the third track here, you can hear the low quality recording there's not so like in in track one you couldn't hear it quite so much because there was so much going on in the mix, but on piercing and search me I think it really stands out that the vocal recording especially is like not particularly great which you know at this point you can kind of move past it it's her first album she's fifteen you know like I'm not I'm not gonna bring her down because are you bullying a high school child right now Elliot <laughs> <laughs> I don't know skip a few years on and look at how successful she is I don't feel so bad but no I did think that. Considering the low quality of the vocal recording on track three on Search Me, I liked the authenticity of her voice on it. Like you said, like, yeah, like we covered, like her voice sounds great on this album. And on this song, it doesn't sound overly produced. It doesn't sound, you know, in if she were to do that in 2020, you'd put lots of effect on it. You'd pitch correct it slightly. You'd do quite a bit with it. But because, you know, low budget, they've chosen not to do things like that. Or, or they possibly can't even do things like that. It sounds really natural, which for me as a singer, I noticed that. And I think that's um, 
quite a nice touch. Yeah, one thing I noticed with this song is like it's the first sort of break you get from like the wall of sound. Yeah. Like for the other songs, it's all like very much let's fill up your ears so that there's no static from the microphone or whatever it is little thing that they're trying to cover up. Mm. I imagine this one's more of her own input as well. I mean, at age 15, she probably can't play all of those instruments, let's be honest. It's got to be a a band behind her. It can't just be... Yeah, I mean, honestly, at age 15, I couldn't even boil a kettle properly. So the fact that she's writing an entire album is very impressive. I want to move on. Next one, Daft Punk's album, Aerodynamic. And this is interesting where it's you get a real rock vibe from it because they said in interviews that Homework, their debut previous album, was a way to say to all the rockers, like, look, electronic music is cool. And Discovery was the opposite. They wanted to say to electronic kids, rock can be cool. It's like, you can like rock. It's fine. And like the over the top guitar solo in this, you get that, that whole thing, cascading riff. Uh, what did you guys think of Aerodynamic? Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm too. I'm probably. I mean, I've been a Daft Punk fan for so long that I'm gonna come off as biased. But I do. I love the first four songs on this album. I think are amazing, and I think they're not just amazing standalone songs, but the way that the the way that they've been mixed to kind of flow into one another. So out of one more time, one more time into Aerodynamic, and then from Aerodynamic into Digital Love, you have like a clock chime, and I just think that's a really cool touch. I think it's it's nice. One thing about the whole album, I like the way that they kind of put, you know, you've got a song with vocal and then you've got a song without any vocal at all. I don't think there's any... Is there, is there any vocal on Aerodynamic at all? No. I don't think so. There's no. nothing, is there? On track three, you go back in, obviously we'll get to that, but you've you got vocal again. So I, I, just, I like that a lot. I just think it's interesting. I think it's unique. It's different. And I really like what you're saying about um, trying to introduce, you know, rock into electro music because often especially at this point in time they're very far removed that you know fans of hard rock are not going to like kind of electro pop synth music and vice versa i think it's it's really interesting the way that they uh they bring those two things together yeah definitely i mean i love how the music pans from left to right um because i don't know how you guys listen to this but i was listening to it on my headphones and when aerodynamic comes in you know the music goes from left to right and back and forth. So, uh, so I'm I'm always a sucker for that type of effect. Then the uh, the electric guitar with the heavy reverb, I thought it was uh, it was it was super dope. Yeah, once you go into digital love, I sat there and I thought, you know what, this is what futuristic, sexy R and B music is probably going to sound like. You know, the song is so dynamic. Uh, the change in the melody is awesome. Um, it's aerodynamic yeah oh i see what you did there um the use of the of, of the autotune is uh well used and and the horns that they have uh on the song are are immaculate so i yeah, yeah i really love the song i mean you, you guys keep bringing it up but you got digital love um which is samples george duke's 1979 hit i love you more <laughs> also a wonderful song and I, I totally get it of it's like a it's like a time capsule of the 70s and 80s that was unearthed in 100 years by robots and they did a remix but john what did you think of of digital love and aerodynamic as a as a duo well i was gonna say that whenever i listen to um digital love it, it for me i don't know why it's like a it's like a really weird electronic dance version of owl city like the vocal that's probably because of the vocal mostly 
I don't know. It's just that kind of light-hearted vibe. Like, there's not like grungy as like having a rock guitar on there. It's just bop along long to it a little bit. I'm a, I'm a massive Owl City fan as well. I love Owl City. Yeah, I can really see that. I can definitely see that. That's a valid point. Ten points for Gryffindor. <laughs> Guys, we're going to take a pause for the cause. We'll be back with more when albums collide after this. everybody and welcome to ReviewParty.com. I'm Brent. I'm Matt. We're going to take you on an adventure through the internet's uh, absurd cesspool of user-generated internet reviews. This is a Google review for Santa's Village Azusement Park. Liz Del Rio writes, My son was a baby there. <laughs> One star. <laughs> And I don't, I don't know if she means like he existed as a baby or just like my son was a little wuss, <laughs> afraid of the goats and stuff. <laughs> my seventeen-year-old son cried like a bitch <laughs> when he saw those goats. It's just a goat. Come on, <laughs> mom. I don't know. Yeah, I. What I pictured was a uh, like a jaded emo teenager. I'm like, oh, we gotta go to the petting zoo. Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, he, he walks into the zoo, and his mom's a little bit ahead of him. And when she turns around, she just sees a pile of clothes on the ground. <laughs> what happened? And she she ruffles it around to to reveal that her son has reverted back to the baby stage. That's the magic of Santa. Yeah, that, some might say that's a plus. It literally that's brings you back to your childhood. To childhood. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I'm Brent. I'm Matt. Take it easy out there, everybody. That's ReviewParty.com. New episodes every Tuesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. The Tuesday Reviews Day. Tuesday Reviews Day, baby. Hashtag Tuesday Reviews Day. Let's get it going. Welcome back to the podcast. We're doing When Albums Collide with UK band Stillmore, John and Elliot. We're comparing Daft Punk's Discovery and Katie Hudson's self-titled debut, which came out just over a week apart. Lads, the next song, Last Call, Hard Left Turn here, boys. Welcome to Flavor Country Population Us. There is some real jazzy stuff on Last Call. <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? Isn't this song that opens with sax? Yes, it does. To recap what we've got up to this point, we've had a song that opens with an orchestra, and then you've had a song that is pretty heavy rock, or as, as heavy rock as you're going to get from, from Katie Hudson slash Perry. And then you've got track three, which is relatively similar. It's got a pretty steady, regular drum beat. It's got all of that. And suddenly on track four, on Last Call, you're opening up with a saxophone. <laughs> what happened? Up to now, it's quite easy to like see her pattern of what she's listening to, right? And she has certain like influences that come back. And then you get to this and it's like, what did she just suddenly start listening to like Cool and the Gang or something? It just went <laughs> off the rails, like completely different direction. I've got two different things written in my notes, right, for what I think what it reminds me of. So okay. one of them, this song reminds me, and actually from this point on, quite a few songs on the album reminded me of Maroon 5's debut album, Songs About Jane. I don't know if you know that album. Yeah. 
No, I know it. I just don't agree with you. Is the is the thing <laughs> you, can't, you can't hear that at all. What makes you think it? It's the t- I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it. It's these tiny things in the back, and there's one or two songs on songs about Jane that have very similar effect. I think. I mean, it's not a clear comparison. The o- the other artist that I compared it to in part is Jamiroquai. Ah, parts yeah. of the kind of feel. Again, it's not it's not funk or jazz. It's just ever so slightly verging on those things. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's still kind of indie rock. I don't even know what genre you'd call this album on the whole. It's kind of funky, rocky, jazzy type thing on this song. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting that you said that. Yeah, because if you were to ask um, somebody what genre this is, I don't think they would have a um, a definite choice for you because it is kind of all over the place. There, I mean, we just came from something of kind of more hard rock. I mean, pop is definitely a heavy element into it they have this which i kind of thought it was more like a soul track of some sort in the sense of her doing that kind of like listen to me how i sing you know kind of thing like really uh exercising her uh vocal range and then even later we're gonna get into a song that i thought was like a straight up show tune in the sense of it could have been in a musical i mean this this song was it was so interesting the lyrics too she said uh, on her site quote I wanted to do my own hotline, so I used the number of the church my dad pastors, 899-3833. I made the character realize that this phone call to God for help was the best one he ever made. And so it is, I mean, she in the chorus, she says, because it's 899-3833. It's like a, a weird a bit of logics, uh, everybody. Yeah, in there. I was just thinking but that too. I want to talk about the elephant in the room here, which is that this is an artist called Katy Perry. Um, but she doesn't do Christian music anymore, or at least not overtly. She changed her name to Katy Perry because she thought Katie Hudson was too close to Kate Hudson, which is ironic because now she's way more famous than Kate Hudson ever was. Then she started collaborating with Max Martin and famously good dude Dr. Luke. How do you guys feel, because you are a Christian rock band, how do you feel about a Christian musician sort of leaving their faith behind and moving into secular music like this? That's a really interesting one. I think in terms, I think, so I think there's a difference between leaving your faith behind and kind of, you know, giving up on, on what you believe, you know, changing your belief, giving up on what you believe to actually moving away from writing Christian music. That is, I mean, that long-term I could see us writing secular music as well as, as well as writing Christian stuff. I don't see that we'll be writing just Christian stuff forever. But I think what is interesting is to look at whether her faith has changed. Because, I mean, I by complete coincidence, something actually came up on my Instagram today. Apparently, Katy Perry has recently said something that, cl- you know, that claims her faith is really strong, really thriving. Um, and supposedly, I mean, you know, looking at the way that her career has been, it looks like it's probably been quite up and down. She's probably not always been going to in fact, i quite confidently say she's not always been going to church or necessarily practicing <laughs> christian faith you know for a yeah fact. <laughs> um and it's you know it's not for us to judge we don't necessarily know the whole story but if she's still got an element of faith or she's an element of her faith has come back to her then i i completely respect that even if she's not writing christian music anymore i think that's i i, I wouldn't encourage her to some somebody like her to keep writing christian music even if they're a strong christian if they don't feel that is kind of what what they you know really want to do anymore you know you don't want it to be forced or saturated when you're singing about anything that you that is meaningful to people yeah i I think it's important to remember like you know christianity isn't a trap like you're not like (laughs) she's not stuck in this like bubble that she can't get out of it's not like 
uh, she's like being forced there and like her parents like you have to write christian music maybe she felt like that. yeah i think she maybe did to be honest that's probably yeah. why she she sort of drifted away from it. Yeah. So it's not to say like you know people can lose their faith. It's not it's not something that like never happens. I think it's wrong for her to have moved on to secular music if if that's really how she felt. It's interesting um, because almost the next song comes into it because did we mention she's fifteen years old, lads? Did she can't even get into an an R rated movie? She's fifteen, so the next song, Growing Pains, where she talks about like dealing with faith and growing and also you know do, going through that whole puberty thing. Um, like she's the growing pains of her faith and and what she's going through. Really interesting. But Pedro, is this the song that, that we're talking about? <laughs> I put it on and I said, this, this is some gosh darn Katy Perry right yeah. here. The other stuff, I don't know who that was, Katie Hudson. This is Katy Perry. It is so dramatic. And I said, I, the exact, in my notes, I said, did I accidentally stumble into a Broadway musical? Because yeah. it is yeah. very musical. She has the talky singy, the like back and forth conversations. Not a shame that I have begun to speak of ways. This makes me think of her later work and the theatricality of it. Speaking of which, Mm -hmm. my mum and dad actually won tickets to a Katy Perry show a few years back. My dad is probably in his early 60s at the time he goes to this concert and is also a heterosexual Australian man who has worked most of his life in construction. Are you sure about that? He said it was amazing. He's like, the production, she's swinging on a trapeze and she's shooting whipped cream out of many different parts of her body. Um, so she yeah, had the talent. The music, the music was yeah. just perfect. Oh, he was actually he was there. <laughs> he was there with noise canceling headphones and a pair of binoculars. <laughs> so she definitely has a talent for drama, and like this song, she said it's inspired by Bohemian Rhapsody, and I can totally mm-hmm. see that. By the way, the song is bloody tops. I love this song. But what did you guys think? So I I, I actually did love this song. It was the first one on the because I've been through throughout my notes. I've been kind of highlighting the songs red, orange or green. And this was the first green. This was the first song. The first the first thing that got me drawn in was that it's piano driven for the first time on the album, which is a personal thing for me. I prefer piano driven music on the whole to guitar. It's very musical theatre. And I like that a lot. I think that is part of why I've always liked Katy Perry because she's very theatrical, very over the top, dramatic kind of, you know, I remember seeing the music video to uh, Raw when I was probably about 13 or 14 or 15. I don't know, whenever that came out, that kind of, you know, dramatic. She She's swinging through vines in the video. She's, you know, in a jungle with a tiger and an elephant. Obviously, it's not real, but you know what I mean? Like it's, like I said at the beginning of the episode, she's a bit more interesting than most of these basic pop stars like taylor swift or somebody because i don't feel that somebody like taylor swift kind of captures your you're about to get some very angry tweets from teenage girls (laughs) i i like i do i don't mind no no it's too late it's too late to save yourself (laughs) mate the damage is done you can't unring that bell they're gonna send you a cease and desist order like bahamint sending us john what did you think of growing pains yeah, well, I totally agree. It's it's the whole like dramatic musical esque type thing, and it's what we're used to hearing, which is interesting because it's obviously like it's her first album, so no one's used to hearing anything. But this is clearly like her concoction of what she wants it to sound like, or what she's trying to sound like, rather than just copying or trying to sound similar to who's inspired her. Yeah, I wrote something like that about the fact that I think what's quite endearing about this song is that you can hear she sounds really comfortable. Yeah, like 
she sounds like this kind of genre that she wants to go for, which just, I think it makes the listening experience, you know, if, if the artist sounds like they're in their prime, like they're, you know, in their element, like they're comfortable, I think you have a much easier time listening to it, whether it's an amazing song. You know, this this song is not incredible, but I enjoy listening to it more than anything that's come before on the album because she sounds really comfortable. She sounds like herself, even though at this point you don't know what, herself is you don't know Katy Perry or Katie Hudson at this point but she just sounds comfortable in the booth do you know what I mean it's so interesting you say that because the next track my own monster which is another hard left turn we've had about eight during this album it makes it seem like growing pains came from a different galaxy because you've got this like ambient noise and this dark gothic thing and her high notes on my own monster are great they remind me a lot of um one of the boys one of her songs but it doesn't look like she's having fun. It doesn't seem like she's enjoying it because it's so, like, pained. And you want Katy Perry to have fun. That's her best music. Yeah, I was just going to agree with Elliot. Like, she, that's the best way you could say it. She sounds comfortable recording this track. Obviously, when she's putting this out for the first time, we would have heard this back when she was 15. We would have known who Katy Perry is. But now that we know who she is and the music that she's put out, and you listen to this, this is the first song that I listened to on this album where I was like, oh, there she is. That's that's the Katy Perry I, I, I know. You were saying that she was inspired by Bohemian Rhapsody, and I understand what she was trying to do, but when it comes to that, I mean, it it's not Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, it f- kind of falls flat in his face. Not to take anything away from it, I really enjoy this song. I Like I said, when I heard it, I was like, oh, wow, it sounds like a, something out of a musical or a show tune. Katy Perry, if her um, solo recording career kind of uh starts you know twiddling down i think she has a career in writing music for like disney films or something like that or even broadway musicals because um, um and there's something there's something here to it um we got to start reaming through these songs because we're going long as always but i mean the next song on daft punk's album harder better faster stronger overplayed i definitely thought that because I've heard it, I don't know, 5,000 times. <laughs> but you know what? I put it I put it on, and within a minute, I was, like, bopping along. Like, this song still slaps. The sample from 1979, Cola Bottle Baby by Edwin Birdsong. And when I say sample, I mean they went Control-C, Control-V, and increased the yeah. speed, like, 10%. <laughs> Birdsong said, I recorded it 30 years ago, and here come some guys from France. I asked them, where did you find my music? And they said, oh, we were just going through some like record bins, and it popped out. Wow. Uh, and he said, I'm, I'm blessed, and I continue to be blessed by opening my arms to God every day. So a little bit of religious element to this song, too. <laughs> uh, harder, better, faster, stronger. John, Elliot, what do you got? I like the song. It's just, it takes so long for it to get to the really good bit of the song. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's I my agree. problem yeah. with the song, is that it's like, the best bit's right at the end, and I just want that to be like, a little bit more consistent through the song. Yeah, we all, that I've got it written in my notes, we all know which part we're talking about, like the hook that Kanye West uses. On exactly. The, the little da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, that, that is the best part of the song, and it only plays through once or twice in the song, it's such a shame. But yeah, I mean, on that, it is a good song. I mean, Daft Punk's song. Don't get me wrong; like, it is. It's clearly one of their strongest songs. It was. It was a. What it was one of their most successful singles, I believe. Yeah, no, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's an awesome song. I mean, this. It, I mean, it won a Grammy for best dance recording in two thousand and nine. So it's a testament to uh, 
to what it's got going on. And yeah, when I listen to this, all I can think about is Kanye West's song Stronger. Not to knock this at all, but I kind of prefer Kanye West's song because it's just a lot fuller with the drums and it gets, it it just, well, it gets gets to the better bits a lot quicker. But I would say I would love, and I'm sure there's somebody that's done it out there, a DJ. I would love to hear a flawless mix between the two songs. Like it starts off with, you know, Daft Punk and it gets into it and then he just or she mixes it into Kanye's uh, uh, song and then mixes it back to Daft Punk. That would be amazing to see. The next track, Crescendols, the sample Can You Imagine by the Imperials 1977, a song I have become obsessed with in the past week. I love this. This is probably up there for one of my favorite tracks, just because the kick drum in this song, it feels like it's beating through my ribcage. It's it's like so powerful. I really like Crescendos. It is good. It's the first one on the album I have got highlighted in orange, though, rather than green. The one thing that puts me off it, the one thing that knocks it down in my ranking is the sound effect. And it reminds me of, so their first album, Homework, is is good. It's experimental, but I'm not on the whole a massive fan of it because there's too many experimental strange quirky noises which for me are just insufferable i just (laughs) i can't listen to them and that this is the one song on this album where i find the sound effect is just a bit annoying i agree about the sound effect actually it's like a weird like it's like almost like pac-man but sped up yeah like yeah very odd i'll tell you what i felt that for because next you have Night Vision, which is a nice interlude. I, I'm about it. And we have to keep in mind that, like, house music, the, the rules of albums very rarely apply because DJs and stuff will just drop singles and then they'll play, like, the, the single at the nightclub. Like, you don't play a whole album generally. So the rules are completely different. So, we're, you know, I'm sure there are people that are techno heads and house heads pulling their hair out right now. Like, oh, it's not how albums. Forget it. So we have a nice little interlude, Night Vision. And then the annoying song for me came with Superheroes. The weakest song on the album so far. The Barry Manilow sample is really obnoxious to me, Mm. but there's sci-fi sound effects. And look, I'm sure it goes off in a nightclub, but seeing as every single nightclub in my country is currently closed, I'm just not in the right frame of mind, lads. Like, (laughs) I can't get into it. It was whatever for me. This is when I start tuning out in the album. Like I said before, uh, there are some album fillers for for me and this is where it, this is where i kind of like all right whatever it's not this is not my jam this and i think with with high life as well i'm just kind of tuning out like i i i understand why it's in it it doesn't it's not too i guess juxtaposed or fragmented from the rest of the album but it's they're just not the strongest tracks for me so go stepping back one moment to night vision as well i find like you said it's interesting because obviously this album is not going to look like a typical album it's kind of not necessarily going to flow like a like a concept album or something would even though it has got that kind of overarching concept and very similar sound effects throughout it it's kind of more of a string of pop dance hits kind of put together and for the most part works really well I just find with Night Vision, it kind of slows the pace down way too much. And I find that really dull. And then on Superheroes, it kind of doesn't quite pick up enough. I'd say for Superheroes and going ahead to track eight to High Life, I find it's like they're kind of pretty typical Daft Punk songs. You know, they're samples, they've got an interesting beat. They've got really cool kind of sci-fi sound effects in there. They do a job, but they're not necessarily kind of 
good enough to keep your attention at this point on the album where it's it's quite easy to lose your attention i think you know if if track seven eight nine on an album aren't kind of really piquing your attention then it's very easy to drop off at that point the night vision song is just it's on the wrong album or it's it's the wrong artist it's like it, you could put it on a like a concept album that has a very like one line theme all the way through it like tranquility bass from arctic monkeys like something like that that's just consistent and you have this thing to break it up with like no lyrics it's in the wrong album entirely i think i think they just they put it in to try and have a little bit of uh order to the album mm. and it flopped a bit there and and i think with superheroes and highlight it's sort of like they're okay but it does sound like just a kid could have done it in his basement with the same sample and it doesn't sound like the high production of of what daft punk can do we're talking about sound effects, superheroes, and then I put on um, Spit by Katie Hudson. First of all, right off the bat, if you have kids talking on your track, you need to stop it. <laughs> I hate the sound of kids, like young voice. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. I can't stand just it. Just in general, not about you, mean, it. Joe, you just hate the sound of children? Uh, in general, kids, but especially not on my Katie Hudson contemporary Christian music. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm, list- I'm listening to the beat and I'm thinking, oh no, please tell me Katie Hudson is not about to start rapping. Yeah. Because this, this sounded like thing. a hip hop beat. I, and the song is called Spit. So I'm like, is she about to spit a yeah. rhyme? Like, oh. Katie! 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 Mercifully, she just does another Alanis Morissette impression. Um, to the point where Alanis Morissette should probably look into some litigation, I think. <laughs> <laughs> she wrote on the website, My mum titled this song, and now she thinks she's really cool. This song was written when I was in the 8th grade. Now, I don't know what you guys were doing in the 8th grade, but I sure as hell wasn't writing songs like this. Yeah, I definitely wasn't. Actually, in fact, this is a funny little story. When I was 15, I, I wrote my first song as part of a typical high school garage rock band and the song was called the holocaust jesus it was a a memorial song it it was a still (laughs) it's like imagine like a rock song over images of the holocaust and you just think what yeah it was probably quite distasteful but we as kids we thought we were doing like our very best it was a different time it was a different it was a different time and i i don't regret anything i don't regret anything (laughs) um what do you yeah. guys got for spit? Anyone got anything for spit? I it definitely morphs back into that samey sound that the album kind of started with. It's it, a, a bit like the the Daft Punk album. By this point on the album, you're kind of getting quite samey. You need I, you need the next track to kind of really lift you back. I think because this one, yeah, if this one for me doesn't do anything. It's really really kind of one tone. Yeah, it's interesting. I found this song to be the most secular of her of her lyrics because she says things like, but I took up this hammer and laughed at all your slander and pierced your hands with the nails of blasphemy. That's the most secular? <laughs> this this quite violent yeah, song about the crucifixion like... of Jesus where he's hanging on a cross with <laughs> a crown of thorns? Maybe. Yeah. No, what I meant was... Mo- uh, uh, sorry, me- mo- most religious. <laughs> yeah, okay, Excuse okay. me. But that's what I... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, my notes messed up. I went to a public school, guys, so uh, <laughs> you have to excuse me. She went super She went super hard on this one. I'm going to pick a bone with you guys because I disagree with the fact that like uh, a song like Night Vision doesn't belong on the album because I think it does. 
Not only because it fits the soundtrack of the anime film where you have like ups and downs and ebbs and flows, but I like those songs. And so, whereas I thought Katy Perry's album started to nosedive a little bit after after that, the heights of growing pains and my own monster, I thought Daft Punk was just like it kept getting better and better. I thought I thought something about us, a wonderful another down tempo song. I know you don't like it, but I really like that. Uh, Voyager, you know. No, no, I, great, I like you know? that song. I like. What's what's the difference? But like, you think Night Vision was just too too slow? It's not really got a melody. It's not. <laughs> I mean, it's not really. It's not got much to it for me. I, I, which is not. You know, it's just my opinion. Completely. You know, you've got your thoughts on it. I think they're totally valid. I just think, considering the tone of the album, which is not only kind of you know upbeat, but it's it's very positively upbeat. It's kind of these, you know, dance tracks. It's this certain style of music. And I just thought that song is so contrasting. I, w- I won't say like out of place, but kind of contrasting from that. And it, for me, kind of really catches me off guard. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I feel like I shouldn't be too negative about it, really, because I do like the whole album. But yeah, it kind of kills the flow a little bit. But then, I mean, when you come back to Something About Us, that's where I think the album gets almost better than it's been. For me, Something About Us is the best song on the whole album. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You want to yeah. say it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Night Vision is a nice interlude, but then when it gets to the other songs like Superhero, High Life, like I mentioned, it kind of, I, I start tuning out personally. But then when it gets back to Something About Us, I'm feeling that song. It sounds smooth. It sounds sexy. I feel like we're back into it. And then, you know, when it goes into something like Voyager as well, uh, with the bass and the drums that drops out of nowhere like that, it sounds it sounds super, super dope. Um, and it really brings the instrumental to life. What did you think of Veritas Quo? Which is like, is I, I hope I said that right. Um, it's like a very <laughs> almost like Baroque classical sound. I thought that if Mozart had been given a synthesizer by his wife instead of, you know, syphilis, he probably could have made this. I I agree. I like that a lot. I I love I love Verdi's Quo. I think it's a really good song. Um again, yeah, from track 9, from something about us into Voyager into Verdi's Quo into Short Circuit, I think you've actually got a really strong pickup to the album. Like I think things get back on track. With very decent quote, is that how we're saying it? Very decent quote. I don't know, man. Have fun with do an accent. Have fun with it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> with that song, it's getting back to like I think I said it for what song? Superheroes and High Life. It's kind of that typical Daft Punk kind of in their element doing their thing. Except I think this time they do it well. I think this one is a really interesting, catchy tune. Really solid. Yeah, it's funny. I listened to it the first time and I was like, oh, this sounds like the Legend of Zelda music. (laughs) (laughs) You know? But that's just me. Because it does have that type of uh, sound, like a medieval sound to it. Yeah, the first time I listened to it, it was kind of like whatever. I think I had a better appreciation for it. I don't know if anyone did this, but I actually watched the clips, the anime clips, along with the music. And uh, I had a better appreciation for it once I watched the anime clip along with the music. I mentioned briefly Faith Won't Fail. Did any of the lyrics on this album get you guys thinking about your faith? Or did did it reach you in the way that it was supposed to? I think for me it was hard to it was hard to listen from because obviously she's only 15 so from I'm not saying like I'm like the most knowledgeable Christian ever but I'm a few years older so I I know a bit more so it's it's hard to sort of listen to it and think oh yeah she's completely theologically accurate John I completely agree with that though quickly yeah no I, I because 
faith i mean i'm gonna this is a bit kind of christiany talk but you faith is a bit of a journey you kind of learn more and more as you get older and you get yeah as 19 year olds the way that our faith looks now and the understanding we have of it is very different to that of of a 15 year old as 15 year olds i would have probably taken a lot from this album i actually i'm Mm. pretty confident i would have actually i think the lyrics are relatively well put together you know because it's it's not her preaching at you. It's her singing her own experiences, her own struggles in places. I think that kind of thing is actually quite um, quite encouraging for young Christians. Yeah, she's really singing the gospel or just really giving herself to God on this one. And it's interesting. She has a, a lyric. She says, you could cast me in the lion's den, but they won't harm me. Just that that line. I mean, it's a reference to the book of Daniel, uh, obviously. But everyone knows that that story that has just become a part of um, the lexicon, popular lexicon. You know, they threw me into the lion's den. It's It doesn't necessarily even have to be uh, Christian music that uses that uh, analogy because I just uh, looking at research, you know, like Bob Marley would use it in... Um, his album survivor or you know bruce springsteen did a song called lion's den in 1982 yeah so it's it's just it's super interesting that um some of this stuff will get uh put into uh popular lexicon just basically pop culture i'm interested in the sort of writing process of christian quote-unquote music and because like when i when we get to the, the the final song on katie's album when there's nothing left to give and she described this song as a crisp, clean, simple love note to God kind of song. Is that is that sort of uh, one of the keys of writing a, a, a type of Christian song where it is, they are love songs, but about your relationship with God? That is a type. Yeah, that is a definitely, type, that yeah. Is, like you said, you said it perfectly. That is a type of Christian song. And this is really funny. We actually said this on our podcast a while ago that lots of people, when they ask us, you know, what is Christian music? A, a lot of people say, is it is it is it just like you're writing like an Ed Sheeran love song, but to God? <laughs> I've, I've, I've had so many people ask, I've had three or four people literally use that same ed sheeran example as well and no really it, it kind of it, it is well mm. to some extent yeah there is a type of christian song where you are pouring out your heart in the same way you might in a pop song to a girl or to a boy or whatever yeah you are singing your love to god that is a part of our relationship with god is is a, an intense mm. loving relationship yeah i mean i suppose i suppose yeah that is that is one one way of looking at it is that you're writing yeah. a, a love song i guess you would in terms of kind of the vocabulary you use, it's a bit different. You know, you're not going to be eyeing up God as a piece of meat in the same way that you would a girl. Not that speak, you should look speak at a girl for like yourself. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I was thinking in those people's minds to use that Ed Sheeran analogy, they're just thinking like, you know, I'm in love with the shape of you, God. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. no, it's not necessarily the same thing. But it is also important to point out that it's not like it's not all like that. As in the uh, the book of Psalms is is David's like songs to God it's like a 70 30 split and the 30 percent is him basically telling god like how crap his life is and that he like needs help it's not this is like the first emo music (laughs) yeah yeah david just being like i'm so sad uh yeah but it's not all like amazing like some of it is a word that a christian word is lament or like to express sadness yeah, there's and there's a lot of that, and I think yeah, when you're when you are looking at tackling Christian, you know, writing when we started writing Christian music, we wanted to get a broad range of these different types of songs, not just to be interesting, but because it's more natural that way. Because you know, in our life day to day, everything's not happy and positive. You know, things aren't constantly like oh yeah, I'm just you know feeling on top of the world. 
you want to you want to reflect that in your music you want to kind of reflect nat- your, your natural authentic self as best you can so we've we've pretty much come to the end of both albums did you guys have any other notes on any other tracks we might have missed or anything that that really stood out to you that we missed no. there was one thing actually i was going to mention i was i was going to slide it in at the very beginning completely forgot so the Katie Hudson album was released on what date? The sixth of March, two thousand and one. Mm. So I I was released three days later. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, my, my my god. Yeah, my birthday is the 9th of March, two thousand and one. So I actually came out in the same week as as this glorious album. Oh wow! <laughs> to myself and Pedro, that is a terrifying yeah. fact, by the way, because we were not released in the. In <laughs> I was, this I was meaning to ask this. Maybe I shouldn't on recording. But how old are you guys? I'm 45. Um, Pedro's 53. <laughs> That's correct. Yes, I fought in World War Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 Vietnam. Yeah, forty-three. Yeah. John, did you have anything else that, that stood out to you? Um, I, I just wanted to make another comment on, uh, on something about us that it's. I would say this song is so ahead of its time. Now we are getting to this like chill sort of guitar vibe music, like Tom Mish and things like that. You know, people now, if you show them this, they'd probably say like, "Oh, who wrote that?" Like some and mention someone like Tom Mish. They wouldn't think it would come from a techno band, electronic dance music band from the 90s. Whereas Katie Hudson is about, I don't know, six years past its use by date. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, did, I yeah. had that in my notes that it sounds like, I don't know whether you guys have ever heard much contemporary Christian music, mm. but this album sounds very much like what, what contemporary music, Christian music was starting to sound like in the early 90s. So mm, she is. She's yeah. she's a long way behind in terms of her she's kind of. She's fifteen sound. years old. Lay off her. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. You keep I'm ripping sorry. into it, and it's yeah, just fair like, play. No, fair play. She's done more than I did at fifteen. I'll tell you that. I wrote a song called The Holocaust. Pedro, <laughs> I would say just um, particularly listening to Daft Punk and going through and doing research and finding out that it was uh, during the time of this album recording when they decided to take on the whole, you know, robot persona. I was thinking, Judd, I think it would be a good thing to nominate the idea of us wearing full robot helmets whenever we make public appearances. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, because oh. COVID, we're already wearing masks. It's not that big a leap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the yeah. transitions go be fairly e- uh, easy. And um, also for the flair, why not? Why not? So... Let's do it for the gram. Uh, Guys, let's take it to the wrap-up. Obviously, unfortunately, Katie Hudson's album sold 200 copies. Why do you think Daft Punk's album, as we said, was standing, is going to stand the test of time? And why has Katie Hudson's a forgotten classic by her fans that no one ever talks about? I think Daft Punk's success comes from the fact that they are taking sounds that came way before them and taking sounds that were way ahead of their time, almost. You know, they were inventing new ways of making sound, of making music. You know, they're not just kind of relevant in their time but they're jumping time periods you know they're going back 30 years and then they're jumping 20 years into the future they've got this massive range of sound Mm. so i i would say that overall is why daft punk as an act have been so successful this album in particular just showcases that the best i'd say that's why this album is so successful i don't know what you think john 
No, yeah, I agree. And I think part of that is that they're built on top of a, an industry. They, they they built on something that was already there. Pop music was sort of a, a weird in and out of like, what is pop? Because it kept changing so quickly. Like, as you said, like she was making music that sounded like it was from the early 90s, but it was 2001. Yeah. It just, it was, it was already out of place when she released yeah. it, I think. But yeah, the, and then the Katie Hudson album. I mean, I think we've got to give her a bit of a bit of grace to be honest because like you said at the very beginning Judd her label went bankrupt before the album was even released so she right. got no financial support in marketing it so you kind of let her off for not selling so many copies but at the same time i think the album just wasn't anything particularly new it didn't really catch the ear as something that was unique and groundbreaking which is you know you you're gonna str- anyone's gonna struggle to get off the ground if they can't make something that really catches the listener's ear straight away. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think with 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 Daft Punk, yeah. I mean, why was this so massive? What you guys were saying, yeah, they were able to blend like the sounds of disco, dance, eighties pop art, and put it all under the umbrella of house music. The anime visuals, I think, they serve as a great companion to the music because I really appreciated that. Like I said in the top of the show, that was my introduction. Just watching that music video and being blown away. And then finding out later that it was a full length anime, I was like, "Oh wow, that's 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 super crazy." But I'll also throw in the the idea that they adopted the robot personas right before the album's release. So I thought that was a very unique uh, promotional stunt to do, you know, to uh, generate hype. And then as as far as uh, Katie Hudson, I mean, I, I think that's the big, the massive, massive, massive thing that we have to talk about. Like when you see that she sold two hundred copies, you know, you you automatically think it all falls upon her, but I mean, unfortunately, her record label went bankrupt. So as you were saying, you know, they were not in the position to support her by giving her the proper promotion. You know, I mean, honestly, I didn't hate the album. Um, I was coming in thinking like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be terrible. Obviously, Katie is super talented because, I mean, look how her career has turned out. If she continued with that with this course of doing strictly, you know, Christian music, she could have gone on to the likes of a, a singer like Lauren Daigle or, or or Riley Clemens. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. If I do have any criticisms about it, I would just say that I mean she just sounds immature on the album. And what I mean by that is that you can just definitely tell who her influences are. She doesn't sound like herself, which hinders her from being dis, uh, distinguishable from any other singer so if this album her record label hadn't gone out of business this record had been successful she had sold a hundred thousand copies two hundred thousand copies a million do you think she would have stayed with christian music i think she would have stayed with christian music a lot longer but i don't think her career would have had the longevity that it has had Mm. i think she 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 could have possibly put out another two albums that could have done okay within within a christian community I don't think, yeah, she wouldn't have hit the heights. I mean, she she's one of the most successful pop stars of all time. You know, she's she's incredibly successful in terms of accolades and what she's actually achieved. Yeah, I, I think if this album had been successful and she'd kept in this vein of music, then she wouldn't have achieved that. You know, possibly would have gone a, a more authentic route or done something she would have been happier with. I don't know. No, I I, I don't think she'd be around anymore, to be honest. Mm. I think it's also important to point out how hard it actually is like in the music industry at that point as in Mm. it was basically big massive companies and they would put out consistent sounding music that's why everything sounds the same from that time 
not only was she in a, a, a really small record label, she was in a sub-label of the record label. So it was a sub-label yeah. of a record label that wasn't a big label. So they, so what budget would she have had to actually get music out? So it wouldn't have been on the radio. It wouldn't have been in magazines. Like There would have been no publicity whether they've gone bankrupt or not. But so, they could afford an orchestra on track one. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> Who knows where they got that from? We always like to finish by choosing a song off both albums that either you really liked or you think embodies the album. Um, so we're going to let you guys start. Elliot, John, choose a song off both albums. Oh, that's really tough, actually. I'm going to say one more time, I think, is not only probably the strongest song on there, not my favourite, but the strongest song on there, and I think it embodies what is to come on the album. It sets you up for... Yeah, as, as such a sh- strong first track, and it sets you up for what is to come. So I'd go with that, John. I would say um, "Digital Love" for me. There's a bit more to it than just the same thing over and over, and it's just a bit like it shows off what they can do a bit more. Yeah. What about uh, Katie Hudson? Um, gotta go for "Growing Pains." I mean, it's cheesy, but it it's her style, and I like that. I can appreciate mm-hmm. that, you know. So yeah, I definitely go for "Growing Pains" as the strongest song on there. And just mm. the most unique and diverse, probably. Yeah, I don't feel right picking one because I literally <laughs> heard this this week. It's like, <laughs> and if I'm being honest, I, I just I don't like it. Oof, straight up, harsh. <laughs> it's all in red. Yeah, you wrote the like, entire album great. in red. Pedro, what do you got? Yeah, uh, with with Daft Punk, uh, Discovery. I'm gonna. Th- I think I'm gonna choose something about us. Um, it's not one of the big hits um, off the album. You know, it's not. Um, you know, uh, uh, one more time, or it's not harder, better, faster, stronger. But if I were to tell somebody, hey, listen to something about us, and and, and they're like, oh, I like this, then guess what? The rest of the album is going to be a real treat for you. Um, and then with uh, with Katie's album, um, I'm going to say uh, Faith Won't Fall, because I, I don't think it's very, it's common knowledge that, you know, Katy Perry had her first album was basically a, a, a Christian record. I think this song is really indicative of what she's trying to convey on the, on the whole album. I would say, yeah, listen to this and then you can decide for yourself as to you, whether you want to continue with the rest of the rest of the album. For me, I'm going to say Crescendo's been obsessed with it all week. My roommates hate me because I've been blasting in the kitchen much to their chagrin and for the Katie Hudson album, I'm going to go with My Own Monster. Uh, hard left turn, very dark and gothic, doesn't suit her, but the chorus are some of the best moments on the album, uh, very reminiscent of some of her later work. Love that. We're about to wrap things up, but lads, please tell us a little bit more about yourselves, about your band, about your podcast, about you. Where can we find more, still more? So we, more, still more. We are a little Christian band from Leicester in the UK. Uh, We have recently put out our first single. It's called Turn to See. It's on all good streaming platforms and it's on our YouTube channel as well if if you prefer YouTube. John, you want to explain our podcast a bit? Yeah, so our podcast, we, we basically, we started off just by ourselves, but we got guests on. Uh, for the later episodes and we just chat about them we explore uh, some of the topics that they like to talk about it's m- mostly christian but we've had a like we've had some non-christians and some non-christian topics on there as well uh it's it's mainly focused on music uh, like this we're on instagram and facebook john what's our instagram at stillmore.theband uh facebook just search for stillmore um yeah that's us <laughs> excellent guys well 
Nice one. That does it for another episode. We'll be back next week. See you around, guys. Bye, Pedro. See you, guys. Bye. Bye.